weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. And I'm really happy that Mitch Album is with me today. You know Mitch is a very prolific and a gifted writer, both nonfiction and fiction. Hard to believe, but this man has sold more than 41 million copies in 47 languages everywhere, written eight number one New York Times bestseller, has done more things than you can imagine. And I just finished reading his latest book, called The Little Liar. And every time I read Mitch, I say, this is your best book. But the truth is, this is your best book. I loved reading this book and couldn't put it down. So congratulations. And now that the book is out, are you on tour all over or are you staying close to home? No, uh, doing a lot of touring. Uh, in fact, I'm coming to New York uh, and doing a thing on February 4th with Malcolm Gladwell, uh, who's a friend of mine and, of course, the author of Blink and so many other right. books, uh, at the 92nd Street Y on uh, on February 4th at 7.30 at night. And it's it's part of a, you know, a national sort of tour that I'm going to talk about this book because it, I think it's important uh you know, it's a work of fiction and it's therefore it's got characters and plot and all that. But I, I wanted to write a book about the precious nature of the truth. And I had no idea how it would be uh, very pertinent today. And so it seems that there's a lot of interest in people talking about the subjects of the book and the nature of it. So I'm doing I'm doing as many appearances as as, as possible. No, without question. And your characters are really quite something. And I kept thinking, what a great TV series this would be. Mm. With Yeah, there's there's already, right? already, that's already in motion. That's unbelievable. And you've got Nico, uh, his brother, and the girl, Fanny, you've got incredible characters. Yeah, well, thank you. I'll set it up for readers or listeners who don't. Uh, don't know the story. It basically centers on a little boy named Nico, who's uh, up to age 11, has never told a lie in his life. He lives in a city in Greece during World War II. And when the Nazis invade, uh, they find out about his honesty. He's known throughout his neighborhood as never having told a lie. And they pull him away from his family. And they tell him that you can return to your family shortly. All you have to do is a little favor for us. We want you to stand on these railroad tracks every day and tell the people who are getting on the trains that they're going to good jobs and good homes and everything is going to be fine. They're going to have their families together and they're going to be happy to hear that and just do this for a couple of weeks. And then you can go back to your family and thinking that he's telling the truth and having never told a lie before he does this day after day. And the people in the town who know him see him and they know he's, they he's Jewish him. and he's trustworthy. So they get on the trains. And it's only uh, when he's in the very last day that he sees his family and this girl, Fanny, who he loves, uh, and and uh, they're being pushed into these boxcars. And it's only on that day that he finds out that these trains are actually going to Auschwitz, the concentration camps, and he's not allowed to go. And the train pulls out and he runs after it, you know, trying to catch up with the train. Uh, and from that point forward, it follows him for the next 40 years and shows the ramifications of that one lie 
on him, on his brother, who does go to the concentration camps and blames him for what happened. Happen, right. Yeah, on, on Fanny, the girl who loves him, who is the opposite, doesn't blame him, knows that something must have happened because he's, he wouldn't have done that on purpose and spends her whole life trying to find him again to forgive him. And the fourth character is the Nazi uh, who pulled this whole trick off and what the ramifications of that lie have on him over the course of the years as well. So it's basically a parable about truth and lying and uh, the price we pay for the for the latter when we give up the former. But I'm curious, you've written so many books, many of them you visited us on the air with. Where did this one come from? A, a sort of departure from a lot of the other books and themes and stories. Well, I'd, I'd always had this idea in my head to do this story about 10 years ago. I went to Yad Vashem in, in, in Israel, the Holocaust Museum right. there. I was on a book tour there. And I saw a video of, uh, you know, they have videos all over of uh, survivors that they, they, they archived. And there was a woman who was talking about, they always ask us, why did we get on those trains? If you knew you were going to be killed, or you're going to a concentration camp. Why would you get on the train? And she said, they don't understand that in, in our case, they had Jewish people standing on the train tracks telling us that it was okay. And we didn't know that they were being sort of threatened with their lives if they didn't do it. And so we listened to them. We got on. And I always kept that in my head. And I always thought, boy, what a terrible perversion of the truth. You know, using your own people to lie to you. And I, I thought there was a story there. But when I decided to do it about a little boy who loses his innocence, who's never told a lie before, um, then it really came together. And I've long wanted to do, you know, all my books, Joan, have a slice of Tuesdays with Maury in them. Right. You know, I've always said, even the novels, there's some lesson that I learned sitting with Maury as he was dying, you know, that, that I, I roll around again into, into, into a book. And in this case, it was about forgiveness, you know, and, and we talked a lot when he was dying about how you have to forgive everybody, everything, even the worst things, because you don't want to die with, you know, you don't want to die with, uh, you know, and uh, being in disagreement. And, um, I thought, wow, you know, what if, what's the worst lie you ever told and what would you do to be forgiven for that? And, and so the book is a lot about forgiveness, Nico seeking forgiveness, Fanny wanting to give him forgiveness, his brother not wanting to give him forgiveness, right, so angry. and you know how it all comes together at the end. Right, and can we ever find redemption? I believe so. I believe everybody can find redemption. If they're pure in their heart and they really want to, they can. And, uh, you know, we see that over the court. Nico becomes kind of a fascinating character who's kind of very enjoyable to write because after being this little boy who's never told a lie, after that lie, he becomes like a, almost a pathological liar. Uh -huh. he, he, he realizes that he has to lie in order to try to find his family, and he starts taking on new identities. As he gets older, he becomes different people, different passports, different countries, and he ends up in America where, of course, if you're willing to be a brazen liar, you can become immensely successful. And he does, you know, and he becomes this millionaire in the movie business, uh, where, which, which is all about deception. And he hides there from people and he doesn't let anybody, you know, know who he is or what he's done. And, and he's spending his time just, just trying to seek redemption for what he's done. And Fanny travels the world trying to find him. But of course, he keeps changing his name and his identity. So she, it's hard to track yeah. him down. And she finally, you know, locates him. I don't want to ruin the book, but, uh, 
you know, there's a reunion that's a very important part of the book. Right. And how did you, how did you come by the movie business? That was sort of well, a I know surprise. the movie business. I know the movie business as you do, uh, and uh, you know, I know I know a good deal about it. And I thought, well, this is good. if someone if someone wants to lie, you know, or deceive, where 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 better place than Hollywood, you know? And and I just thought there was an interesting juxtaposition of he's he's making stories that people want to hear basically because, and he's, he's really good at it. He's really good at like picking movies that people want to see because he's been pathologically lying his whole life and he knows what people want to hear. And so it's the same sort of talent, you know, knowing, you know, what people want. Uh, and I just thought that that would be an interesting place for, for a guy to hide while he was trying to make up for what happened to him. Yeah, and and this book took you to a lot of different places and a lot of different experiences. Well, it did. It took me to Greece, which the book is set there. And the reason I set it in Greece is because nine out of ten people who read The Little Liar come up to me and say, I had no idea that the Holocaust was in Greece. And I said, that was the point. You know, we live in a time where where people have heard about the Holocaust for so much and so long that you now have people denying it. And now people saying it didn't even exist. You know, it didn't happen. Right. And I wanted to set a story in a place where people would come away from it going. I, I had no idea that that happened during the Holocaust, meaning there's still much to learn about what took place there. And the city that this takes place in is called Thessalonica. And actually, and this is truthful, the the before World War Two of all the cities in Europe, all the cities in France and Germany and, and Austria and, and Poland and everything. It was the largest percentage Jewish population of any city in Europe. And, and most it was wiped people out. had no clue. No clue. Yeah, no clue. So I traveled there, did a lot of research there. And, you know, and now, as it turns out, a book that said about, that talks about, you know, anti-Semitism, lying, you know, accusing, blaming people, all the rest of it. Um, finds itself to be extremely pertinent in our time. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of people have, have glommed onto it and have passed it around and have written me and said, you know, um, boy, is this a book for our times? I can't take any credit for that. I, I started a couple of years ago. You know, I, I just happened to finish it now. Uh, but I'm glad that it is resonating. No, it's resonated. And it's also about survival, uh, the art of survival. Yes. Whether you and approve hope. or not. And hope. And hope. And hope. You know, I don't want people who who read Tuesdays with Maury, five people you meet in heaven, they go, oh, but that sounds so sad. You know, I, I, I like your books because they're inspirational and hopeful. This is, I can't write a book, Joan. You know me. You've read pretty much everything oh. I've written. Um, I can't write a book that doesn't have hope. I've been criticized for that. I had a critic once took me apart in, in one of his pieces. And at the end he wrote, oh, he's just the king of hope. You know, he meant it as yeah. a pejorative. Right. But I, I always think, well, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good throne to sit on. I'm okay with that, you know? And, and so I try to show even in the dire circumstances, uh, you know, that there is hope. There's a, there's a scene in the, uh, during the concentration camp period when the book is only a third, you know, one third of it takes place during those years. And the rest is over the course of the next 40 years. Uh-huh. And there's a scene in the concentration camp where the grandfather of the family has all the people, his family together at night. And every night, despite the horrors that they've gone through, he makes them say one good thing that they were grateful for that happened that day. And, you know, what can you say about one good thing in a concentration camp? Right. So 
one of them says I had an extra spoonful of soup. And one of them says my rotted tooth fell out today. And one of them says the guard that beats me every day wasn't, wasn't on today. So I didn't get beaten. And one says I saw a bird and, and it's the, it's the persistence of hope, even in the worst circumstances that enabled people to survive that terrible time and enables us today to survive the things that we go through. We can't lose hope. And the ultimate message of the book, the time you get to the end is that, you know, hope prevails right. and truth prevails. And you bring that message to kids that you work with too. Are you and your family, your wife still involved in um, camps and schools for a lot of these children? Well, we have an orphanage in Haiti uh, that we operate and I am there every month of my life. Uh, I've been there since January of 2010, right after the earthquake. Uh-huh. And uh, I go every month and I'm, I'm sure I will for the rest of my life if I don't end up moving there. We have 60, 65 kids at any given time. Um, we bring them in when they're very, very young. We don't ever adopt them out. They, they you know, stay it's with hard us. to adopt kids from Haiti, right? Yeah. Well, yes, it's impossible basically at this point, but we would never, never Do adopt that. our kids out anyhow. We're, we're there to, you know, they've already been abandoned once. Huge. We're not going to turn them out over again, uh-huh. but they stay with us. They go to school uh, in four hours in French, four hours in English, six days a week at our school. And, and so far we've had um, 13 graduates who have come out and uh, um, they've all gone on to college scholarships here in the States. One of them is in medical school right Incredible. now. And so uh, we're very proud of them. And, and um, there's, there's a joy in these children, even though they have absolutely nothing, a perseverance of faith, uh, you know, a, a, a laugh that warms my heart. And, and I, I, I always feel best when I'm there and when I'm, I'm, I'm helping to see that they have a future. And a lot of that spirit of children and the indominance of children finds its way into the little liar, you know, uh, which is, you know, starts with kids who are 11 years old. Right. It's, it's amazing. I'm talking to Mitch Album celebrating his new book, The Little Liar. So now that the book is finished and you're on the road, What's next on the album agenda? <laughs> well, I have another book that I'm working on uh, that'll come out in uh, next year, which is uh, a little lighter and a little uh, simpler, maybe a little more familiar to my readers. Uh, it's about a man who gets to do everything twice in his life. And uh, what, what, what good and what bad comes out of that opportunity. Uh, he sort of has the magical power to undo everything and get a second chance, but he's stuck with the second chance. Whatever he does on the second time, that's what he has to live with. And uh, I'm having some fun creating that. It's a little bit different than this one. Yeah, it is. And uh, interesting to be able to pull it off. Well, we'll see if I can. I'm sure I'll come back on your show. (laughs) You're pretty good at that. So are you traveling with the little liar? Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. You know, I've been all over the country but I'm looking forward to the New York trip. Um, the Y is Glad- a great resource, yeah. one of our best. And Malcolm Gladwell is a friend of mine, and and uh, we've we've talked and worked on some things together o- over the last couple of years. And um, you know, he's he's kind enough to sort of be in conversation with me that night. And I I'll probably end up asking him as many questions as yeah, as he will me. Knowing but, uh, we'll you, I'm about- sure. <laughs> But we'll talk about the little liar, and uh, we'll talk about truth, and 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 today, and 
and other Malcolm Gladwell thoughts. So yeah, right. that's uh, and the resilience of kids. I mean, that, exactly. speaking of hope, there's yeah. an incredible message in there that no matter what they go through, many of these children have that hope gene in them that gets them through. Right. And I, I think we could do well to learn from that. And I, I one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, I said the book is told by the voice of truth. And I always say that, the, you know, the hardest thing about writing a book after you've decided what the subject's going to be or the story's going to be is finding the voice of the book. Uh-huh. Once you find the voice of the book and the way you're going to tell it, that's you're, you're halfway home. And in my case, you know, I searched and searched and searched. And finally, I said, you know what? I'm not going to have, it's not going to be first person. It's not going to be third person. It's not going to be second person. I'm going to have the truth be tell the narrator. the story, right. Yeah. And, and the, the book basically begins, you can trust the story you're about to hear. You can trust it because I'm the only thing in this world you can trust. I'm the mirror that holds your final reflection. I am truth. And this is the boy. This is a story about a boy who tried to break me. And when I wrote that, I thought, yeah, I would read that book, you know, if it started like that. So, so, um, you know, the whole book is narrated by truth and truth gets the opportunity to say, look at what you did to me during this time, you know, during World War II, during the, during the Nazis, during right. when they lied about this and lied about that. Look at how you destroyed me. Look at what you humans do to, to such a virtue, you know, and why do you treat me this way? And, and you can only do that if truth is the actual narrator. If it's a character, it, it starts to become too much. So uh, that, that I think is one of the appeals of the book. And I know that that's what we'll be talking about at the, at the 92nd street Y on, on uh, February 4th. Well, I liked the quote on the back cover. Think of Mitch Albom as the Babe Ruth of popular literature. Did you like that hitting the ball out of the park every time he's at bat? Well, that was Time Magazine. That wasn't me. I know, but Uh, but pretty good. Yeah, that's that's a very nice, very, very nice quote. Probably way too, uh, way too complimentary. Uh, Uh, Accept it and enjoy it. Well, all right, I'll do that. You're you're doing fine. And Mitch, as you know, has written many different books from fiction to nonfiction. He's sold millions and millions of copies. And knowing him, this one, The Little Liar, is probably going to show up on a TV screen or a movie or who knows where the next adventure is going to be. But I put my money on you, Mitch. Thank you, Joan. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for being so welcoming to me and my books. No, I'm always happy to do it, and I look forward to seeing you at the 92nd Street Y. All the best. Thank you. All right, everyone. It's a great book to read. I literally couldn't put it down, and you're going to have the same experience. So get it, The Little Liar by Mitch Album. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC. WAVC.